final chapter of Sorcerer's Stone, chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. I'm Rebecca, and I'm your host. And I'm Madison, and I'm your host. Ah. Ah, it's our last chapter of the book. Isn't it March, though? Yeah, it's still March. March 2020. Okay. We what just read really go fast. Wrong? <laughs> oh. A reflection oh. on the book is also a reflection on 2020, which nobody needs. Nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. I got a siren um, now. As if to punctuate <laughs> the... Hello, ambulance. <laughs> uh, no, just Thank you. <laughs> something dramatic happening, as usual. Well, no big deal. No big deal. Just downtown Portland in 2020. <laughs> Welcome. All right. Welcome. Um, so spinning off of what we decided to do last week, we're diving into our MySpace, um, what's it? Inspired. Our MySpace inspired top eight of the chapter. Yes. So last week we only had like, the sirens are just not stopping. <laughs> I was like, they're just going to uh, drive by and I'll be fine. I'm like, they're still going. They probably just, they're just circling be- around my building. Not really, right. but <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sirens are done. <laughs> Portland ambience. Yes. Uh, so, okay. top eight. Top we got eight. quite a few. Yes. Unlike last week where we only had eight to go from, so we had some pretty lame characters on our top eight. Um, <laughs> we certainly we did. We actually have options this week. So, mm. some characters are only in it for like a sentence. And other characters are in it for like 90% of the chapter. <laughs> I think we have a couple contenders for the top few spots this week. Yes. Um, I think that Hagrid, Madame Pomfrey, mm-hmm. Neville, mm-hmm. you know, they all did pretty great stuff. We have Madame Pomfrey taking care of Harry. Mm-hmm. Neville was the reason they won the cup. Those final 10 points mm-hmm. put them over the edge. And I mean, Hagrid, come on. Hagrid... We'll talk a lot about him this week. But Hagrid's going to be like book. 90% of our Patronus fuel, so we'll get to him very soon. <laughs> yes. But um, <laughs> we're big fans of Hagrid in this chapter, despite him mm-hmm. only being in like one page, I think, of the chapter, which is an outrage. It is, um, truly. He's also, there's also a portion of that in our uh, Enchantingly Nasty, so we have both sides of that. <laughs> In Both in sides. A very, of a very brief scene that causes a wide variety of emotions, <laughs> as usual. Oh, that's Hagrid for us. That's Harry Potter for us. <laughs> that's yep. um, that's the whole book. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, um, do you think any of those three—Pomfrey, Neville, or Hagrid—deserve the number one spot? I think I just consistently want to give Hagrid the number one spot, and. I don't even want to have to give a reason why. I think that he just deserves it for being Hagrid. I think that's fair. Okay. I mean, he wasn't number one last week, so it would definitely, you know, make sense for him to receive that top spot this week. Perfect. Um, Pomfrey, nurses, 2020, she's got to be up there, right? Come on. Come on. Come on. Two for 2020. Essential workers. Okay, so Neville's, like, very... Very briefly in the chapter, he's only in it whenever he's getting um, points for standing up to the trio. Um, but he's still he's still in it, and he still plays a major role. So mm-hmm. 
Third spot, Neville Longbottom. Percy, after Ron gets his points, is just like, that's my brother. Like, he defeated McGonagall's chessboard. Like, he's super cool. That's my brother. Hey, guys. My brother over there. Mm. Um, And it's just very nice to see him being super, super proud of his brother. When, like, a lot of what we see with Percy is him being a little bit kind of embarrassed and of where he comes from and trying to, like, kind of get out of the hole that he's put into. Totally. So it's really nice to see him, like, supporting his family rather than just, like, being like, hey, keep it in line, kid. Like, (laughs) get it together. (laughs) Like, you're embarrassing me. (laughs) Totally. I feel like Ron and Hermione definitely have to have their spots in the top eight. They're just going to be moving through the top eight for most of the books, I feel. Yeah. Ron and Hermione could be fourth and fifth. I think so. I feel like he'd put them above Neville. As much as I Mm. love Neville the most. They did get more points for Gryffindor. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe we move Neville from the number three spot into the number five spot. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I want to give her third and Ron fourth. What do you think? I think that's fair. Okay. Ron was unconscious for part of the chapter, so yeah, useless. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So we have Hagrid in first, Pomfrey in second, Hermione in third, Ron in fourth, Neville in fifth. We need our sixth and seventh spot. I mean, we have a lot of Weasleys that those could go to. We have Fred and George who do send Harry a Hogwarts toilet seat. Which is incredible. Um, it's amazing. And we also have... Jenny and Molly, who are super happy to see Harry at the train station, which has got to feel nice to have somebody, you know, who's in the muggle world who's excited to see you. Yeah. So. Here's my my thoughts on our remaining characters. I think mm-hmm. Draco would be a pity spot, but I think that Percy's a better pity spot, so Draco's going to get knocked off, I mm-hmm. think. I could see Fred and George having a joint MySpace page and running it kind of like like an old aunt and uncle who have like a joint Facebook page where they just like post really weird photos of like blurry photos of clouds and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would want to like combine them, which normally I hate when they get combined as a twin. I always got lumped in with my twin and I'm like, we're two different people. Fuck all of you. But (laughs) it's Fred and George. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to deal with it. They're doing, the same thing here. Yeah. I think that... They're in the... Yeah, because there's no difference in what... Their only role in this chapter is that they send Harry a toilet seat, which is a reference to earlier in the book whenever um, Molly is telling them to not, like, mess around and steal toilet seats and stuff. And they're like, we've never done that, but it's a great idea. Um, and so, <laughs> so they, do, they it. do it just to cheer Harry up, which is super sweet. Mm-hmm. Molly greets him and like specifically like like acknowledges Harry and then Harry thanks her for the sweater and the fudge or whatever and she's like it's nothing but like it wasn't nothing it was very very sweet um Mm -hmm. and it was just a cute little moment between them so it was just a nice little show of appreciation from Harry okay no so would Fred and George be six or would Molly be six what do you appreciate more fudge or toilet seat that's a good question I mean I feel like there's definitely work that goes into baking, but there is also labor that goes into detaching a toilet seat mm-hmm. 
and then uh, and sending it to somebody it. knowing that teachers are going to see that you did it. Right. They're you know they're risking punishment. So I think that they went a little bit above and beyond because okay. you know Molly does a lot of cooking and stuff. It's pretty just adding one more sweet to the list. Yeah. Compared to risking Filch's wrath. <laughs> All right. We have our top eight. All right. So we have Hagrid in first place. Mm-hmm. We have Madame Pomfrey in second. Mm-hmm. Hermione and Ron bringing in third and fourth. And we have Neville. We have Fred and George together at spot six. Molly Weasley at spot seven. And Percy Weasley at spot eight. We have a very Weasley heavy top eight this week. As it should be. So let's start with something we love, though. Yes. As if we haven't already been talking for 15 minutes. Um, (laughs) So plenty of Patronus fuel here. Much of it coming from... Let's just get right into Hagrid. Yes. So Hagrid comes in crying to the hospital wing because he's brought Harry... You know, he feels guilty about Harry going down and Fluffy and Norbert and everything that's happened. And telling Voldemort exactly how to get past Fluffy. (laughs) You know... Normal Hagrid things. Details. Um, so Hagrid brings Harry this scrapbook that he, like an album he created. He went and he wrote letters to all of Harry's parents' old friends and got pictures from like their wedding and gives it to Harry. And the line is like, Harry said nothing, but Hagrid understood because Harry was just so overwhelmed with emotion for the sweet thing Hagrid did. They couldn't speak and... This is the sweetest thing anyone has ever done in the history of mankind. Agreed. There's nothing there's nothing better than Hagrid. No. He can't be beat. There's there is no I just I don't even know what to say. Like that takes time and effort and like this like social knowledge that you would know who to write to and stuff, you know? Like yeah, he like knows you have to track that stuff down. Yeah. It's just so good and pure. And he knows that Harry doesn't have any photos of his parents, like, at all. So he knows, like, how important this is. And rather than just being like, oh, man, that's really sad that this kid doesn't have any, um, you know, any photos of his parents. He, like, goes out of his way and does something about it, which is just so good. Yeah. (laughs) Ugh. I challenge anyone to read that scene without, like, tearing up a little bit. Because it's difficult. Preach. (laughs) It's... Oh, man. It's a... (sighs) My heart! My heart. So, that's very sweet. And there's some more lovely things that happen in this chapter. Um, The bathroom humor moment being one of the biggest ones, I think. (laughs) I love the toilet seat thing. I love it. It's very, it's the most Weasley version of a sweet sentimental gift, and Mm -hmm. it's incredible. Wouldn't you want somebody to send you a toilet seat as a joke? Like, absolutely. That that feels like peak friendship to me. I agree. And they knew that he would remember it, too. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. Especially because they joked about sending it to Ginny, and they sent it to him instead, which kind of, like... To me, it makes it seem like they see him as a brother. Yeah. Which is very sweet. Like something that you would do for just another member of the family. Yeah. Like the whole Weasley 
family. Like, the entire family takes in Harry a little bit. And it's just... Mm -hmm. We also have a surprisingly, like, tender, uh, thoughtful moment gesture from Dumbledore. Yeah. Which I think... Major surprise. A lot of people are going to be like, what are you talking about? Dumbledore's great. Um, If you've been listening, you know that we don't think that, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) We're a little more critical of Dumbledore, but in this chapter... There are a few things that he does that um, that are actually good, and they show him using his knowledge and his abilities and his intellect to actually help students, which yes. is wild as the headmaster of a school. <laughs> that, that you would help the students. You would help the students <laughs> with your knowledge. Um, but he... He... Yeah. <laughs> he gives Ron points first in the at the feast whenever he starts doling out all of these bullshit extra points um and he know look we know that i feel like i've repeated myself five times but i'm gonna get there (laughs) (laughs) um okay we know from the scene where harry and ron are looking into the miravera said that dumbledore was watching them the whole time so it was mm-hmm. kind of acknowledged that Dumbledore knew what Harry saw, and he talked to Harry about that, but he never talked to Ron about what Ron saw. Mm-hmm. And what Ron saw was kind of representative of the fact that he always felt like last place, basically, yeah. um, behind his brothers. And the for fair reason, like, he was given all these hand-me-downs, um... He was always talked to about, like, how great Percy was, how great Charlie was, how great Bill was, and all of these things that they go on to do that are super impressive. But, um, so he's got just so much to live up to. And then there's also, like, Fred and George, where they're just like, don't act like Fred and George, but act like Percy. And don't act too much like Percy, because then you get made fun of, so you want to act more like Charlie. But then it's just a lot of, like, things to live up to. So he's, Mm -hmm. he has, he struggles with that a lot, and looking in the mirror of Erised where he wants to um, be head boy and be captain of the Quidditch team like you can see that like he wants to be successful so that he can um, be looked at as himself and not as a Weasley brother I think that everyone kind of acknowledges the fact that Dumbledore giving Neville points last was important because it's, it's what drives Gryffindor over the top and gives them the win Mm-hmm. But by giving um, Ron the points first, it gives him, like, the first kind of moment of, like, acknowledgement for anything. And Ron is never first at getting acknowledgement for anything. Um, but Dumbledore acknowledges him before he acknowledges Harry, before he does anything. The first thing that he says is, I want to give Ronald Weasley points. And, like... Ron gets super, super embarrassed, but, like, you can see how much it means to him, and it's very, very sweet, and that's something that, like, I mean, a teacher who paid less attention would never have thought to do. Yeah. Um, so it does show, like, Dumbledore's ability to, like, understand his students and what they need, and then follow through with that and actually find a way to give all of these students what they need to acknowledge all of these students and not only acknowledge what they need acknowledge but to acknowledge it in the exact order that's perfect for all of them yes one that makes ron feel like 
that he is not the least valuable. It's, you know, it's yeah. not that he's first. Yeah. And, I mean, Dumbledore gets all impressed with himself for um, the little tricks he does with the stone. But I think this is way more impressive of him. And it shows mm-hmm. a much better application of his knowledge. Well, can you imagine, you know, if he was doing this kind of stuff more often, mm-hmm. what kind of impact he could make for so many students? Yeah, because this is just like one speech at one feast. And he's given like four or five students this like confidence boost that they're doing well and that they are accomplishing everything that they wanted to accomplish while they were at school. Yeah. And if you just like do that more often and actually be present and available to students, then... <laughs> He could do this all year long. Mm-hmm. And it could be more than just, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and everybody who, you know, Hangs uh, on breathes. Harry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it could be more people. And uh, it's just, you know, it it shows, like, a this vision of a, what a Dumbledore that could have been. It's kind of sad that we don't get that. But when we do have it around, it's really nice. Yeah. Want to linger any more on this happy Dumbledore moment before we start shitting on him? No, let's throw him down. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, Dumbledore really, you know, it's a very nasty, enchantingly nasty moment when Dumbledore is like, he's talking about, you know, ah, yes, I had the idea to put the stone in the mirror, but only the person who wanted to find it, but not use it, would be able to get it. Which, like... Okay, cool, great. But then he's like, this was my plan, and if I do say so myself, it's one of my better ones. I'm such a genius, ha 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 ha. Yeah, and he's like, and that's saying a lot. And yeah. he's like, I'm so glad you asked that question, because I've, re- I've just been waiting for somebody <laughs> to ask me about that. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I understand that like Dumbledore is a character who thinks highly of himself, and to a certain degree, he is not wrong. He's a very... You know, he's a very talented wizard. Um, but this just, this read really weird. Like, like a really weird time and place to be bragging about your intellect while talking to your student who has been in a coma for three days after almost dying. <laughs> like, is this the moment? I think what bothered me is it read almost as if I could see, like, the author writing it and being like, I wonder if these kids are going to get, like, how clever this is. And she's like, you know what? All my readers, they're just, they're stupid kids. They're not going to get this. <laughs> I am just going to, like, just, I need to spell it out for them how freaking cool this is and how smart this was. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't spell out the rest of the things. Like, look at, like, Snape's thing with the potions and how it's mm-hmm. logic. I mean, Hermione does brag a little bit about, like, how cool it is that, like, it's, it's a logic thing and how a bunch of wizards aren't they don't use enough logic and that's a little dumb but like it's coming from an 11 year old so like come on. right that sounds like an 11 year old who's excited about math to me yeah like, like it reads it reads well it makes yes sense. being from a like 150 year old wizard when he just starts talking about himself it just it's strange 150 years was not enough time for Dumbledore to learn humility, I guess. <laughs> Just he needed a little more. And I don't think I don't think he ever... Uh, these next six years don't give it to him, unfortunately. I think it's weird because it sometimes he does have a lot of humility. And mm-hmm. then sometimes he just absolutely does not. 
And there's no consistency in that regard. And it felt beyond weird, just like that was like an arrogant thing to say, but just something about it felt like, like it tasted sour. I don't know. Yeah. I think it just, to me, it didn't feel necessary for the story, which meant Mm -mm. that it took me out of the story a little bit and just kind of put me more in the area of like editors and writing and who decided this was a good idea. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. It takes you out of the story and it makes you like, I wouldn't, this is not the right way to tell this. Yeah. Like I've read a couple of books lately where I'm just like, this is weird details to put in. These are not necessary. Why are they here? And then Mm. I just get so distracted that I'm like not even paying attention to the story. Yeah. Um, Beyond Dumbledore's arrogance, we have the return of some of our least favorite stuff from the author, which is body talk. Yes. Again. Um, So. (laughs) uh, Take it away. We've talked about just unnecessary body comments so many times since starting it's frustrating i think we've we've stepped away from it for the last few chapters mm-hmm. magically she did not feel the need to discuss the characters bodies for a few whole chapters and that's great um but we're back at it and hagrid comes in for this wonderful beautiful scene of hagrid being a wonderful beautiful person and he's introduced as appearing to be um, looking too big to be allowed, <sighs> which is just seven different kinds of problematic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, various ways that that's not okay. Um, mm-hmm. The main, the first thing to me would be that that insinuates that there is a certain size that is allowed and a certain size that is not allowed. Right. Um. And here we're very clearly insinuating that the larger you are, the less allowed you are to be indoors. Which, which <laughs> we don't really need to spell out why that's wrong, because it should be fairly clear to you. Right. This is a castle that has had multiple trolls in it so far. Mm-hmm. A giant three-headed dog. A giant three-headed dog. All kinds of giant things. <laughs> the basilisk. The basilisk is inside. Like, a giant, like, a trap door that you fall multiple stories down. There's just mm-hmm. giant plants that attack you. There's giant chess boards. But, like, a half giant walks in who we, like, we know and have acknowledged and discussed the size of already. Comes in and all of a sudden he looks too large to be allowed. <laughs> Like, there's ways to acknowledge, like, the fact that he's, you know, this big, cuddly guy kind of thing. Because I think that that was kind of what she's going for, is trying to say that, like, remember, he's like a half giant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And he's this big, tall guy. There's ways to do that without saying that he's too big to be allowed. Yeah, it was like... Hagrid coming in and giving you a bear hug and crying, feeling guilty, that's going to make you feel like that's going to be a lot of love to handle at once. Yeah. And like you can say like he came in and hugged Harry and bumped into all kinds of things for getting his size or something like that. Yeah. And like, is it unnecessary? It's still, yeah, probably. But it doesn't have to acknowledge the fact that that's the thing is that it's not relevant to the story at this point. Right. Like it's 
<laughs> like we already, even we already know that he's very very tall we yes. know that he's cuddly we love this it's it doesn't need to be reiterated every time we see him no it's just like it, it feels like this weird kind of like what's the word it, it reminds me of the concept of like surveillance where like you if you are within the society's norm you're not going to be observed the same way that other people are like mm. this is especially relevant for like people of color especially black people mm-hmm. um and if you are fat then like you're gonna call attention you know people are gonna call attention to the fact that you're fat but if you're like a quote normal size or if you're thin that's not going to be called attention to every moment of every day. Right. It's, you know, it. we don't need the reminder because unless, like, Hagrid's size has, you know, caused something related to the story to happen at this moment. Yeah. You know. Like, if he's knocking things over or something, like, fine. Mm-hmm. But it's just completely irrelevant. Yeah. Like... Great use of talking about his size is talking about how he is big enough that he, like, parts the way when they're walking through the crowd in London. Yeah. You know? Or like, that he's, that's... like, carrying a giant tree all the way, like, all by himself, like, into the crowd. Yeah. Like, there's there's various ways. And, like, talking about um, the way his, um, his hut looks and the size of, like, his furniture and stuff, just so you can get an idea of, like, how small they feel and it kind of puts you in the setting a little bit better. Yeah. Um, like, there's there's several ways that we've we've seen his size and comprehended his size without it needing to be put in like this right and especially in a way you know like you said like too big to be allowed that Mm -hmm. that like that really puts his size in a very negative light yeah like a very clearly clearly negative way (laughs) right no you you need to get out of here like fuck off (laughs) yeah i don't it's just bad so, this week on Accio Fandom, we wanted to feature kind of a, some might say a classic of the Harry Potter fandom creations. Um, we've chosen a delightful song from a very Potter musical. This is the very first one. Um, and As Different As Can Be is the name of this song. It is a lovely piece about Voldemort and Quirrell. I always operate under the assumption that everybody knows what Harry Potter musical is. That's just part of who I am. But um, Fair. there are people who do not. <laughs> <laughs> and that is okay. <laughs> um, but it is a satirical musical of Harry Potter. Made by a bunch of college kids, many of whom who have never even read Harry Potter. <laughs> Which I think makes it even better. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um... As different as can be is a duet between Quirrell and Voldemort, and they are in love, and I love it. That's that's my really. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what you need after like reading about this horrific, like end of book sequence with the murder and Voldemort leaving Quirrell behind, and like, you know, uh, you need that kind of moment where everything gets to be okay, right? Where there's a world where Voldemort isn't so evil that he would just turn his back on even the people who were loyal to him. <laughs> right. Which, you know, I always sound like I'm like, like I love Quirrell and I'm defending him and I'm not. I just <laughs> am like, 
trying to really see him as a person and like you can do bad things to bad people and hurt bad people and Voldemort hurts everybody. I think Quirrell is a shit just so everyone's clear on that. <laughs> yeah I think that acknowledging the humanity of Quirrell um, lets us kind of further see how inhumane Voldemort is. Yes. Um, so it's kind of I mean, it's pretty easy to see how inhumane Coral or Voldemort is because he's literally like mocking an eleven-year-old about killing mm-hmm. the eleven-year-old's parents. Yeah, and like, how fucked up do you have to be as an adult <laughs> to, to do that? Mock an eleven-year-old about how you killed their parents. Um, like that's <sighs> that's a new level of, mm-hmm. of messed up. Um, so just. The comparison kind of helps us see that, like, yeah, Coral's really, really terrible, but, like, Voldemort is beyond anything that these kids could imagine. Yeah. And so, I think this song does a great job of letting you escape from all of the horribleness of the actual series, and you can just kind of lose yourself in people being silly and writing parodies. Um, Yeah. So... It's a great song about Quirrell and Voldemort, and that's what we're talking about this chapter. Yeah, plus it's gay, so... It's very gay. Taking it away now to the Department of Social Justice. I have some complaints. Most of my complaints are relatively relatively small and a little bit petty, but that's okay. Um. (laughs) We're, We're small and petty people sometimes. We are. So, like... I feel like, you know, when you're talking about justice and how points are doled out, I feel like Neville probably deserved more than 10 points for standing up to his friends. And we had a good conversation earlier about, like, you know, this is this is more than Harry and Ron got for the troll. Yes, they both um, got five points each for fighting a troll. Right. So in that context, you know, that makes sense to me. I think that standing up to your friends is really hard to do. And I wish I'd seen Neville acknowledged more just because sometimes I think like, um, (laughs) I don't know. There, there becomes like golden trio syndrome where like everybody's always focused on what Harry, Ron and Hermione are doing. And I feel like they could have established earlier on that there were other people who were important to the world, you know, maybe not 60 points important, but, you know, maybe 30 or like 25. Just, I don't know. It's, that's why it's a little petty. It's, it's like, they still win the house cup, but I just, I feel like Neville's owed a little bit more. I think for the longest time I agreed with that. And I'm trying to look at it from, like, I'm to try to kind of understand where it came from mm-hmm. um on one like like we talked about um it's still more than harry and ron got for fighting a troll yes and fighting a troll is arguably a little tougher than standing up to your friends in most cases mm-hmm. um and i think in neville's case probably because you know a troll's not going to come back later and judge you um and your friends are yes so i mean comparable and then there's the fact that we're already kind of shoving this in Slytherin's face. <laughs> so does it need to, does, like, does he need to go that far over? 
But if that's the point, we could also just say that the other kids don't need as many points and then give, like, you know, split it up evenly. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think Neville is not sacrificing his life. He is not um, actively killing a basically Nazi. He is not um, fighting a giant three-headed dog. He is not um, jumping into a trapdoor that leads to, like, God knows where. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not he's not doing the same things. So maybe it's fair that he doesn't get as much, as many points. Yeah, I can see that. And... But that's, yeah. It's all just me playing devil's advocate because I still do genuinely think that, like, he should have gotten more points. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's... It's hard because it's like, I don't think he did the same thing that Harry did, but it's just Mm -hmm. like, I feel, especially given like the situation where he spent the year, like having Harry and Ron and Hermione be the only ones who would like stand up for him at all, then risking that. And maybe, you know, maybe they didn't have that context, Mm -hmm. although, you know, Dumbledore knows everything, so surely he does. But, you know, so it's, it's a little, it's a little petty, but it's just kind of a like, you know. Neville gets the short end of the stick, and I would really like to prop up his ego a little more. <laughs> That's fair. It's tricky. It is. It's very tricky, especially because our next point is kind of... <laughs> um, Dumbledore really went all out in sort of, like, pulling the rug out from under Slytherin. Um, <laughs> which, on the one hand, is very inappropriate and rude and... If he were just doing this to Snape by himself, I would be totally for it. Like, yeah, you know, make Snape feel bad. Great. I'm on board for that. 100%. (laughs) But doing it to the students, that's kind of shitty. But also, you know, I like the chaos and you really do just get to sit back and kind of cackle as it happens because you're like, hee 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 hee, this is wrong. Ha ha ha. (laughs) So I don't know. I I feel a little mixed. (laughs) I mean, they had six years of straight wins. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's not a good excuse, I guess. It's a type, I had this, I went to, um, I went to a camp. It was a scary, like, Jesus camp, but that's not exactly the point. <laughs> um, but So we had this competition where it was like, you know, very, very gendered boys versus girls who could clean their cabins the best. And they, he told us that there was like this down to the last cabin. And if, you know, he was going to tell us, okay. And if I tell you the girls win, it means the cabin was cleaned. And if I tell you it was dirty, it means the boys win. And, and he was like, and the girls win. And we were all jumping up and down and screaming. And like, as the applause had just died down, he went, just kidding. It was the boys. And I have, like, it wasn't just disappointment. It was this, like, humiliation because you'd had this false victory. And I think about that every time I think about this with Dumbledore because I'm, like, I've been in that Slytherin place where you think you've won. You've got the banners up. You're soaking in your victory feast. Yeah. And And you worked really hard for it, too. Yeah. Like, th- those kids didn't do anything wrong. They didn't They didn't deserve to be humiliated, you know? And they earned all of their points. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, possibly, maybe, fair and square. <laughs> I, I would imagine most of them, at least. Snape 
There's only so much Snape can do to put the odds in his favor. Yeah, because uh, a lot of it was up to like Quidditch games and things like that. So it's hard. It's a. I would say if you are in a position where that's an option for you, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't humiliate children for fun because it's not fun. It's really not. Um, it's, um, it's pretty gross. <laughs> and that's why it makes me feel so mixed because watching Dumbledore do this, I'm like, you, you hag, don't do this. Damn it. Damn it. This is like, you're so dramatic and that's very fun and I hate it. Yeah. Cause he could have given all of these points a couple days ago. I know. Like when it all happened, he didn't have to wait and like have all the banners up and everything. Mm-hmm. Or he could have like just said, I don't know, like insinuated that there'd be last minute points and not put Slytherin banners up. Yeah. I just, there's no reason to be like, well done, Slytherin, well done, like, good job. Um, just by the way, <laughs> a few more points. So, it's gotta <laughs> redistribute. <laughs> like, I think, and you know, honestly, the only reason I feel like there's the part of me that cackles is because I am a Gryffindor. And so, I'm like, <laughs> ha, we won. So, 11 year old Maddie can be quiet for this one. Uh, <laughs> another thing. That I think, because we see at the end of this chapter when Harry's in the hospital wing after he uh, defeated Quirrell and Voldemort, um, Harry is talking to Dumbledore and is kind of trying to figure out like why Snape, you know, has <laughs> such a stick up his butt or <laughs> like why he's why he's such a garbage person to him, and and I just. I get that Dumbledore doesn't want to like tell all about Lily and stuff, and maybe that's not his story to tell. But I do feel like Harry and everybody at Hogwarts is owed the truth about Snape's past, and like it almost feels like lying by omission by not telling people. Yeah, he did used to work for Voldemort, but he's you know he turned over. He's on our side now, and I trust him. You know. I think part of it is that he knows that he might need Snape to go back to being a spy. Mm-hmm. In which case he doesn't want to make it public that like, ooh, Snape was a spy for me. Yeah. Um, so like, I can see that. But there's no need to hide everything. No. Like, I feel like Muggleborns, you know, they should know. They should, because it could be a safety issue for them, right? Yeah. Um, there's just a, a lot of Snape should be allowed to like face the heat for being a Death Eater and not be completely shielded by Dumbledore, especially if, you know, I feel like that's part of what accountability is. If you are saying I've recovered from this, I, I am not this anymore or, you know, whatever his lie would be if they didn't want to, um, like if he lied and said he was imperialist or something, right. um, you know, they they deserve to get a chance to talk to him about that and make sure that Hogwarts is actually going to be a safe place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are other problems at Hogwarts, but... <laughs> <laughs> the giant basilisk that's sleeping downstairs? Right. It's about to wake up. Good morning. I'm home. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah. We talked a little bit earlier about how... There is a very strange relationship between Snape and Dumbledore. Yeah. And I think 
the thing that made the most sense for me that we came across is the comparison of Snape to Tom Riddle and Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. Is that so? Dumbledore has seen both of those people grow up being very, very powerful and capable wizards, and having that turn them into very bad people because yeah. they just from the power and just from not being able to be understood, not being appreciated for their power. So I think that he saw Snape um, as a student first, being very, very talented. I mean, we'll see later, like, in Half-Blood Prince, like, how, you know, advanced he was, especially in potions um, Mm -hmm. and in dark art stuff. But, um, so going from being a very accomplished student to becoming a Death Eater, um, he very easily could have turned into the next Grindelwald or the next Voldemort. Yeah. So I think that it would make sense that Dumbledore would see that and become protective, um, just out of a hope that he could prevent that. That definitely makes sense because uh, it would be a real shit thing for another dark lord to arise in the middle of Voldemort coming back for the next time. So, yeah, that makes sense. It's it just is. It makes me wonder what would happen if Dumbledore wasn't the only one in charge of things and how somebody like Snape would have been handled if you had somebody. Um. I mean, in some ways, like, Dumbledore has really witnessed that potential rise to evil up close multiple times, so he's very qualified to know when it could happen. Um, Well, yeah, and and we've seen, like, the different ministers of magic just being unable to handle major situations like that. So when you look at how Dumbledore handles those things compared to other supposedly talented wizards competent Um, people yeah yeah then it's i mean you see that like yeah he he does a relatively good job Mm -hmm. but it just i wish that there was a higher standard to hold him to yeah definitely ah so let's talk about quarrel yes so quarrel has a little bit of a 180 Mm -hmm. which is strange Especially if you listen to the audiobook. <laughs> he gets just very cocky and self-assured and confident. And it's interesting. I just, I don't like... I don't, it's just easy the way she does it. And I, I think she just took the easy way out. Rather than using his little villain monologue to give us all of the backstory that we need... He decides to transition from his um, his stutter and his nervous persona into this more confident and evil and maniacal persona. And it treats the stutter that he's had as, like, a character quirk, mm-hmm. which is awkward, yeah. to put it lightly. Um, his stutter up until now has been very accurate of somebody who has a stutter, and it has 
made sense with his character, even his character with her backstory, knowing that he has Voldemort on his fucking head, mm-hmm. because um, <laughs> stutters can be caused by stress and by trauma. And, you know, the Voldemort incident could easily cause that. So, so far, the representation of somebody having a stutter has lined up perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Um, so to have him just drop the stutter and be like, ooh, like, you thought I was just this poor stuttering guy. Um, but really, I'm, like, totally confident in what's going on. It insinuates somebody can't be confident and capable and stuff without and have a stutter. It just yeah. insinuates that the stutter is inherently tied to somebody who is um, nervous and incapable and just to be pitied, basically. Yeah. Which is frustrating, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously. Having the stutter be an attribute of somebody that is to be pitied and is... Um, I've said nervous a hundred times, but that's kind of the main point of his character was he's just yeah. a nervous guy. Um, having having the stutter so closely connected to it, it just makes it into a joke a little bit mm-hmm. or a lot of it, depending on how you look at it. And it's um, it's just gross. I don't like it. And it's it's just very disappointing. Yeah, I don't... There's just something really off about, like, because obviously, you know, we're not supposed to like Quirrell or think that what he's doing is right. Right. But there's just something in the way that this was pulled off as this, like, part of a disguise that he puts on, you know, yeah. like, it it falls into what I feel like, just from other examples I can think of, is kind of just a trope where you know, you use different villains will use disabilities in one way or another as a disguise and it kind of casts suspicion on disabilities. You know, is this is this real or is somebody tricking me? And that's not good at all. Think of no. Captain Sham and his peg leg um, from Lemony Snicket, you know, like there's just it, it doesn't sit quite right and i i don't i don't feel like i have the education to properly name exactly the the trope or what it falls under but yeah but but it is a thing for sure yeah. i mean there's peg leg there's um like eye patches there's all kinds of things where people use um different parts of having a disability and use it to add to like a character yeah, to make them seem maybe, like, suspicious or scary. Yeah, or, like, I mean, and it's not just... It's the thing, we take things that people historically don't like in people, and we we make it tied to villains. Yeah. And it just perpetuates it. So, stop. Yeah. Don't <laughs> so do it. <laughs> um, Chocolate with Madame Pomfrey. So, something really big that happened in this chapter was Harry murdering Quirrell in self-defense. <laughs> I would say that's a pretty significant <laughs> thing that happened. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you wouldn't know it, though, because we just, the book kind of just pretends that that's not, that, that didn't occur, that that wasn't a part of the story, and we never hear about it again, ever. Yeah. 
I mean, Hermione gets a little a little upset about it because she, whenever Harry tells her what was under Quirrell's turban, then she screams out loud or something like that. So, like, she at least is rightfully concerned about the turn of events. Yes. <laughs> She's, you know. I don't she... think Dumbledore acknowledges it at all. That no. Voldemort has just been hanging around all year. He's been... He's been in the classroom with students. He's been in the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom through He's Squirrel teaching. In the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Yeah. Like, he. Mm. <laughs> this is a big deal. <laughs> it's just the most massive security breach. I mean, look at how freaked out they get whenever Sirius Black escapes and is, like, in Hogwarts. They're just, like, they're just working themselves up into, like, the most. Like, wild things are running all over the place. The portraits are getting all spooked. Mm -hmm. All of these terrible things. But Voldemort just, like, hanging out, like, with Quirrell. And nobody cares. It's not even thought about. Like, that's horror. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense that, like... Like, I get that, like, a lot of people think Voldemort is gone, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. people think he's gone forever. So why tell them uh, if he was just kind of sent back again? Like, I, I get that logic. You don't want to cause, like, a big um, a big fuss when... Yeah. Well, it's like when you think that nothing's going to happen. But honestly, what's going to happen next year is even worse. Um, <laughs> they, they don't know that yet, and they can't. But still, like, you would think maybe somebody would think, oh... This might be the sign of something starting. Yeah. Um, and, like, I, I think feel... That maybe the Ministry would want to, like, look into this. Um, maybe send Umbridge over. <laughs> honestly, no. Like, because it's Fudge in charge right now. So Fudge is probably... He'd just be like, ah, you know, Dumbledore's got it under control at this point. It's not until next year when they have to go get Hagrid because they think he's killing students with the Basilisk. And then Sirius Black escapes. Like this isn't ha- this didn't have to do with Fudge, so he didn't feel embarrassed. He wouldn't have felt embarrassed by it if that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. That's that's how I would see it anyway. And yeah, it doesn't affect him. Nobody's asking him questions. So no. um, Dumbledore might have you know told him quietly in private, like, "Hey, we did have an issue with one of the teachers," but. <laughs> <laughs> have an issue it's fixed don't worry about it <laughs> he's got murdered it's fine it's no big deal it was harry potter who killed him but like don't worry about it he's the chosen one everyone's like ah <laughs> it's fine like ah he's bound to kill somebody eventually so on top of that being like this thing that is not spoken about like at an administrative level whatsoever mm-hmm. there's no meeting about how we will prevent Voldemort from doing this again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like, Harry, you know, murdering someone in self-defense is kind of a situation that one would imagine would have a strong impact on you. Um, <laughs> yes, one would imagine. So. Theoretically. Um, <laughs> and, like, while it is self-defense, that doesn't make it easier no because the self-defense means that he he was there was an attempted murder on him right like he was 
actively facing a very real, very painful death Mm -hmm. um, while being taunted about his dead parents. Yeah. By their murderer. Yeah, their murderer was just yelling over and over again, kill him, kill him. Or whatever he was yelling. I don't know. Basically just telling telling Quirrell to attack him. And Quirrell is just like being slowly murdered with this terrible pain and harry is feeling this terrible pain as well like on the scar in his forehead which if you <laughs> sounds like the worst migraine ever <laughs> right um like he literally can't see he's in so much pain that's a lot that's a lot so to have that like horrible blinding pain while also being basically murdered and also facing um, facing the guy who murdered your parents and almost murdered you as a baby and made you face all of these terrible things throughout your life because you didn't have a family. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> just, there's just so much. And it's just, like, that, it's gotta be one of the top traumatic moments of his entire life. Like I would say so. The rest of the series included. Like, this is a... Being attacked by an adult as a child in the first place, mm-hmm. like that, that's pretty garbage. But then multiply it by like this person has the literal object of your nightmares living on the back of their head. Yeah, like, and I can't, I can't put my finger on exactly what it is. If this is like. <sighs> like a problem of the story or like or a problem of the character or a problem of the like storytelling because you know I could I can see Dumbledore has been negligent enough that I can realistically see him avoiding talking about this and mm-hmm. acting like it's you know but that's not really like how we see the impact of death throughout the rest of the series yeah for sure I mean it's it's not handled perfectly ever no but it's handled it's i mean there's some semblance of attempting to handle it (laughs) yes exactly and here it it just feels like from a storytelling perspective coral is just the first like kill the spare moment of of the books like Mm -hmm. he it's not even worth acknowledging that he died and that harry had a traumatic experience killing him you know like it it just is very it is very strange to me the way this is it's not even written off it's just not written it's not even like we don't even honestly get an acknowledgement that he did die no because i mean in the movie he very clearly dies he like turns into ash right um in the book dumbledore says that voldemort left him to die we're not told that he survived. We're not told about anything, really. So we assumed that, you know, he died. Yeah. Um, so it's not even... It's not even acknowledged. Mm-mm. That just feels like... I feel like if I were Harry and I had undergone that situation, it would not just, like, leave me. Like, maybe I would be happy that I survived so I wouldn't be thinking about it, like, consciously. Um it would just be this kind of like weird feeling that lived 
inside me that I never like because it wasn't processed, you know, like after it happened, you, it's just this thing that you never can put a name to unless you work on it later in life. It's just going to be this weird, nameless trauma that lives in your body that festers. Yeah. And that's really horrible. I, it's one of like the biggest issues I have with the series. Is yeah. And it like, I've been waiting for this like <laughs> to happen to talk about it because it is such a, I think like such an important moment in Harry's life as far as, um, as far as looking at his mental health. Yeah. Because up until now, I think the most traumatic thing that's happened has been, you know, the entirety of his childhood. Mm-hmm. It's been um, him losing his parents and the repercussions of that. Um, and that's all bad enough. I mean, that's enough to mess with a child pretty badly. Right. Um, but for him to experience something like this and then be like oh i'm off to have a good time you know messing with the dursleys this summer it's just bizarre that he's leaving more um capable and put together than he was when he got here just because like i mean yeah he made some friends and yeah you know he got out of the dursley's house and stuff but he's just like faced this incredibly traumatic moment and he just is like well had a great year (laughs) yep (laughs) see ya (laughs) it's because what happens from here right like okay so in the last three days before the end of school harry kills coral and voldemort tries to kill him and then he gets on the train and he goes to the dursleys and he's there for you know like six weeks or so and then dobby shows up tries to ban him from school, tells him Voldemort's coming back in fewer words. Um, and he thinks he's, you know, he's going to get in trouble. Then he gets locked in his room, but then he's at the burrow and then he gets thrown into Nocturnally. And like, there's not, there's not time. I don't see any place where he truly gets to rest or process what has happened just in this first year. Like he has six weeks where he's back at the Dursleys and is probably just like, hmm suffering honestly yeah it's such an important scene Mm -hmm. but it's just like there's not even much to say about it because we don't get anything that we needed from it yeah Mm. it's it's disappointing it's very disappointing yeah i think this is a good place to jump into reflection as well because this is a this is like how we leave the book you know like this is the tone that we leave Hogwarts with. So like, this is a weird place to jump into the pensive because like, it feels like so much has happened in this chapter that I like, you know, after something traumatic happens, a lot of times, you know, you're given the opportunity to go into the pensive through journaling or meditation or therapy. And you're kind of like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm not interested in being internal and reflective. And that's, that's kind of how I feel about this chapter. Yeah. I'm I mean, I'm glad that Harry doesn't isn't, you know, miserable at the end here. Like I don't want him to be, but I do I do feel like there is a a medium that is a more I think that's maybe my biggest issue is that overall like 
this does not feel like an accurate representation of how Harry... This is a problem I have with the epilogue, and it's why I liked Cursed Child. Um, you get to the end, you get to the epilogue, everything's tied up neatly in a bow, everybody's married, they have children, they're going to Hogwarts, the scar hadn't hurt, all was well. And I remember reading this as a very traumatized teenager, and I was kind of like, okay, that's great, but how? Like, how on earth did Harry go through everything and get to all was well? And when I read Cursed Child, the reason I liked it so much was because, ah, okay, things are still fucked. You know, he hasn't, like, just magically not had any issues from his fucked up life. You know, he's dealing with a lot. And this feels like a micro version of that all was well, you know, like, okay, I get it. And I'm glad that he's okay. But I, I feel like I'm missing on a really big part of the puzzle here that feels really important to me being able to have my own sense of catharsis, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's weird to just be at the end of the book mm-hmm. and have the biggest, most impactful scene happen in the last chapter. It just feels like you're a little bit numb by the time you get to the part where we're wrapping up and saying, like, what a great year he had and, like, mm-hmm. thanks for the fudge and the sweater at Christmas. It's just, like, it it it's weird because... This was a major trauma. Yeah. And if you have any experience with any variety of trauma, you're not going to be able to, like, within a few days, just be, like, (laughs) joking and over it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially with how young he is and how already traumatized he is. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's not the kind of kid that gets over this kind of thing quickly. Like, we see that with Cedric. Um, and obviously Cedric was innocent and it's a little bit different, but I mean, the sentiment is there that like Harry has trauma in his life and he's never been shown how to handle that in a productive way or in a safe way. Mm -hmm. So to have little baby 11-year-old Harry just be like, cool, have a good summer. Can't wait to, like, get a letter from you. Looking forward to it. <laughs> um, bye, Hagrid. Had a great year. Hey, Molly, what's up? I'm going to go torture my cousin and pretend <laughs> I can do magic. LOL. <laughs> Peace. Yeah. Peace. Um, it's just a little dizzying. You know, maybe, maybe something that plays a factor i don't know if it's a big enough factor to justify not it's not a big enough factor to justify not addressing it but i would say that even though this is his first like sort of major one of the most major traumas that ever happens to him this is also the first time where he really has a lot of agency over what is happening where he realizes that he does have this power that he can you know, stop Quirrell by grabbing his face because it hurts Quirrell. Um, And that sort of, I feel like having agency in those situations can be pretty, it's it's a pretty powerful feeling. Um, But I, I, I still, I think that that could help with the feeling and maybe help it from really like 
burrowing in and becoming something that like plagued his nightmares forever. Um, but I, I still, it still doesn't feel right that it's something that would just never be talked about whatsoever. And that he wouldn't have, you know, some kind of feeling of a little feeling of guilt, you know, about it. Cause that, that can happen. Even if you're defending yourself, you can feel guilty that you caused somebody else pain and caused their death. Yeah. I think the agency stuff makes sense. And I think it also, so like in this chapter, we also have him and uh, Ron and Hermione talking about the fact that maybe Dumbledore planned this all along. Maybe Dumbledore has been showing me how to do this myself and he knew that I deserve to have a shot at doing it myself. And while that is very fucked up <laughs> because they're 11 year olds, they just shouldn't be allowed to do that. No. Like, th- there's no way Dumbledore should have allowed him to do that. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but for these kids, they they love that idea. They're just, like, very excited. They're like, yeah, like, he knew I could do it. And it gives them this, like, confidence boost. Not great, but in the moment they're happy with it. Yeah. Um. So that does kind of line up with an explanation for why he's able to move on from it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um. And also, while he is young, he's kind of at the age where kids are able to handle things like that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I have an example from watching the Weather Channel. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but at night, the Weather Channel stops being about the weather, really, and starts showing a bunch of, like, disaster shows and, like, survival shows. And they're very... They make me cry a lot. Uh-huh. Oh, God. <laughs> but sometimes people leave it on at work, and I'm just, like, watching them on my overnight shifts, and oh I God. can't turn them off. Um <laughs> But there's this, like, they're, like, real-life stories, too, um, which makes it a lot worse. Yeah. Um, but basically, long story short, there's, like, this family, their car got stuck in the middle of nowhere in, like, a snowstorm. Mom um, went out to go look for help. She didn't come back for a while. Dad realized that um, he needed to make sure that he got help for both them and wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had to leave this, like, eight-year-old kid in the car alone overnight, basically. Uh-huh. Which, super traumatizing. Yeah. kid didn't know if his, like, parents were going to come back. It was Ugh. super, super traumatizing. Um, but they talked to a psychologist, um, the survivalist guy who was basically... His whole job is basically be like, if they'd only done this, it would have been much easier. Which is, like... Oh, fuck you. I feel a little insulting, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. <laughs> There's kind of just some entertainment value to that right um but anyway he talked to the psychologist who like child psychologist who said that um he was actually at like the perfect age to handle something like that which i thought was bizarre because like my instinct would be like he's too young like that's gonna be super traumatizing Mm. but actually um he was at the age where he knew that um sometimes parents leave but they'll come back like that's the thing that happens um, baby Harry doesn't have that understanding. That's why, you know, you can play peekaboo with babies because they have no object permanence and they think that as soon as they can't see mom, mom disappears from existence. Right. Once you're, um, 
you know, around eight or 10 years old, um, you start to have a better concept of the fact that sometimes people leave, but it doesn't mean that they're gone forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just because something's bad doesn't mean it's going to be bad forever. Um, So they actually showed this kid on the show and he was just, and they were like, "Um, what did it feel like whenever um, you saw your mom? And he was like, you know how like sometimes if you um, think that you forgot your lunch um, at home, but then you look in your backpack and your lunch is there, it's felt like that. It was just really good relief. And I was just like, he is comparing <laughs> seeing his mom after thinking she could be dead to finding his lunch in his backpack. I was like, this kid's fine. <laughs> I was like, he was like, it was just the most, like, biggest relief ever. I was like, oh, and then he said the lunch analogy. I was just like, kid. <laughs> <laughs> you child. <laughs> like, you're fine. <laughs> so, long story short. Just because we think that something's going to be really traumatizing for kids doesn't mean that they can't handle it. Yeah. And it's the biggest crime here, I think, is not necessarily that Harry goes home without, you know, feeling miserable. It's more that there's, I feel like there's there's a place that we should have talked about. There should have been a time to process what happened and part of that you know like you mentioned that's kind of due to the structure of the book we're here in the very last chapter it would have been nice to have one more break and then um you know just the the, just the feeling that there was a few minutes to like sit down and have a conversation before we won we won the house cup and we are going home and i'm gonna be mean to dudley 10 seconds after i squeeze your face till you die (laughs) <laughs> you know what they could have done is they could have made the discussion with Dumbledore a little bit different. They could have had it be after he was kind of like released from the hospital wing. Mm-hmm. They could have had him go to Dumbledore's office and the conversation could have started with basically you just went through a very traumatizing experience. Like I want you to know like you can talk to me about any of it. Is there any, like, questions you have? Is there anything I could do to, like, help you out? Because you just went through this really big experience. And then had the conversation that they Mm -hmm. had. And then at the end, Dumbledore says, I'm glad you're feeling okay. Next year, every week, we're having you in with the fucking school counselor who I have hired. (laughs) Yes. In talking about this, as I feel like we've, we came from this place of feeling a little, like, you know, numb and shocked. And we have talked ourselves to a place where um, this ending makes a little bit more sense. Like it doesn't feel quite as jarring. And I always had so much envy for Harry, Ron and Hermione growing up where they would talk about these mysteries and these things that baffled them and pondered them. And this, this like experience we have had of having these, you know, talking about the books for, two hours every week (laughs) it it really feels like that is what is happening and i i think it's a product of like us being badasses but also this wonderful like when you're sitting over around the fire of harry potter how you really can start to um embody those really lovely things about the text you know coming into community and um so that's 
guess that's my much more happy <laughs> reflection <laughs> about this is that this has been a really my favorite way I've consumed the books in a very long time. And I'm uh, happy to be here out of the trap door, you know, taking the train home with you. Yeah. Ugh. It feels weird that it's, we finished a whole book. I know. Thank you all for listening to our first season of beyond the text with us here at beyond the veil. And we are going to start book two in January. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break and you can find us again on January 25th, where we will discuss chapter one of Chamber of Secrets, The Worst Birthday. Um, that is also the week that we will be discussing our book club pick for January. This is how we fly. So get ready for that. Um, and one more little announcement is that if you are subscribed to our Patreon um, you can join us for a bonus episode where we will be looking at the entirety of Sorcerer's Stone through our little formula. So just discussing the book as a whole, some more reflections, picking our favorite parts, our least favorite parts. What is the nastiest moment of Chamber of, or not of Chamber of Secrets, what is the nastiest moment of Sorcerer's Stone? <laughs> so find out. And I... We haven't recorded it yet, but I, my money now is on something to do with Dumbledore. So, And probably a lot of things that have nothing to do with the book at all. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like those parts, then why are you listening? <laughs> Let's just talk about Gritty some more. <laughs> yes! Gritty! Gritty podcast. <laughs> if there's not a Gritty podcast, that's... A Just like shame. a gritty roundup podcast with a new episode every time that he posts on social media. Yes. Okay. Can we? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Just a weekly. I'll be on board. <laughs> Welcome to the weekly gritty roundup. Here's the TikToks we're posted today. <laughs> uh, I love it. It's beautiful. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I want now. <laughs> all right. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. We are Beyond the Veil Pod. On Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil and N. Have you seen Long Furbies? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they are. It's, it's a little bit like that. So. So we put Voldemort's face onto a long <laughs> Furby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. Mm-hmm. And oh, more ambience. More ambience. Ellie, excuse me. This is a professional recording studio. <laughs> Ellie, you are interrupting an international <laughs> podcast recording. Says, give me my microphone. I have things to say. <laughs> Ellie, let's do a remix of their barking and meowing in GarageBand. Oh my gosh, to make it sound like Hedwig's theme. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,